what used to take us years in retail and the changes which took us years to make, now it's taking us three days. And it's, it's been very, very exciting how fast customers are moving and uh, we in retail are moving. Massive transformation is happening all around us with new innovations radically changing how we shop, work, and live. People are going to want to be amused and entertained as opposed to, I need to go to the mall to buy X. It's easy to do that on Amazon. Welcome to 2025, Tomorrow Today, a new podcast series from GeekWire Studios, where we'll explore the future of shopping and the workplace with top leaders in technology and business. We still see a very real, important piece of the shopping experience for our stores, but it's different. I'm Jordan Voss, Senior Vice President with wealth management firm Northern Trust. I'm John Cook, co-founder of GeekWire. In today's episode, we're taking a look at how we'll shop, how we'll buy groceries, electronics, apparel, and more in the next five years. We kick off our series at one of the country's most dynamic outdoor shopping centers, Seattle's trend-setting University Village near the University of Washington. Apple, Crate & Barrel, Allbirds, and a host of other top retail brands are booming here. Yeah, John, but drive just a few miles to one of Seattle's older indoor shopping malls, and it's a far different story. So what is the future of brick-and-mortar retail and shopping malls? In this episode, we're exploring that question with some of the top thinkers in retail, among them, Jason Stouffer. Stouffer is a managing partner at Maveron, a consumer-focused venture capital firm that's backed brands such as Allbirds, Everlane, Zulily, and other innovative retail companies. The way Stouffer sees it, the future of shopping centers is all about experience and entertainment. It's a future where dining, experiences, and yes, shopping all come together. Places like University Village here in Seattle, The Grove in Los Angeles, or Hudson Yards in New York. But Stouffer tells us, plain and simple, there are just way too many shopping options for Americans these days. So I think there's a, a couple things that, that come to mind immediately. One is, I mean, the U.S. has always been way over-retailed. I mean, we have 10 times more retail space than Germany, five times more than the U.K. And uh, I, I don't know if uh, you all have been to Crossroads or Factorio recently. It's like going to a ghost town. Um, these B and C malls uh, have a bleak future. Secondly, it's kind of like, where do people want to shop? I think what's happened is you had uh, teenagers who their place they used to hang out was the shopping mall. And that drove consumption. It drove family trips to the mall. Now they're hanging out on Fortnite and TikTok. And COVID just kind of accelerates what was already happening. People are less likely to view a shopping mall as an experience. So I think you're, you're likely to see in the Seattle area, malls outside of U Village and Bellevue Square be highly challenged and some of them go away. But another trend could breathe life into some shopping destinations, experiences that can't be replicated online. It feels like if it's an intent-based purchase, and that could be a pair of seven jeans, which you order every time, or ASIC shoes, you're going to go on Zappos, you're going to go on Amazon and order those things that you know you want online. Or it could be a recurring ship of toilet paper or paper towels. Um, it feels like you're going to need to see a change in retail towards um, discovery-oriented types of experiences, which is why beauty retail works. It's why a Nike store is so experiential, or when the Glossier store was here, there was a line down the block. There's no question many of the country's mall operators are hanging on to survive. Now, two of the biggest, Simon and Brookfield, struck a deal this fall to take over beleaguered department store chain JCPenney to rescue it from bankruptcy and the closing of about 650 stores nationwide. 
But in early November, two other large shopping mall owners that operate 130 malls across the country filed for bankruptcy. It's just another sign of the perilous future for shopping malls. I think it's it's what's happening now is fascinating. You have mall operators like Simon who are buying the brands that are within the mall. So you're seeing some vertical integration, but it's, you know, it's it's the equivalent of, you know, the uh, a single buggy whip you know, company buying all the buggy whip operators when the buggy whips are going away. So, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I think, I think that's challenging. I think you'll, you, Amazon has been talking about taking over things like JCPenney and Sears locations and turning those into distribution centers, which in turn would drive some foot traffic to the malls. But I think there's a lot of rear guard action to preserve what was instead of think about what will be. Um, I think the uh, what you're going to see is a transformation where the mall has to become more experiential. Yeah, I think I understand the Roaring Twenties a little bit more now. As a, it was a reaction to start partying after the flu epidemic where everyone needed to stay in, inside for a couple of years. So I think, uh, you know, post this, you'll see a return to that. But where are people going to want to go? They're going to want to hang out and go to restaurants. They're going to want experiential retail and experiential things. Like it could be a Topgolf. Um, it could be... Uh, in-person VR installations. Um, it could be, uh, I mean, like Mall of America, where there's like an in-person, you know, amusement park inside the mall. Um, I think people are going to want to be amused and entertained as opposed to, I need to go to the mall to buy X. It's easy to do that on Amazon. What does that look like? It means spaces like U Village, which are conducive to that kind of transformation. Um, my gut is they'll thrive. They'll look different, but they'll thrive. But I think it's trouble for um, aging uh, mall operators. And we're going to be taking a much closer look at Amazon and its outsized impact in our next episode. But in the meantime, Stouffer is far from alone in the prediction that some top-tier destination malls will survive, while a lot of old-school malls just aren't going to make it. We spoke with Marie Driscoll a managing director at CoreSight Research in New York. CoreSight predicts up to 25,000 physical stores will close this year in the U.S. That's three times the rate of closures from a year ago. Now, certainly, COVID is accelerating that. However, the longer-term trend line for brick-and-mortar retail was not good even before the pandemic hit. One reason for the increase in store closures, plain and simple, Mavron's Jason Stouffer told us before, the U.S. has just way too many places for us to shop. A recent study finds the U.S. has far more retail than any other nation. We have over 24 square feet of retail per capita. That's five times more than Europe's average of 4.5. And why is this? Well, we need to go all the way back to 1954, when amid a recession, Congress changed the tax code to greatly accelerate deductions for new construction, which was intended to spur factory building. But instead, it incentivized mall developers to build way more than we needed. And here we are today. And so when you compare it to Canada and the UK and then Europe, it's unbelievable, um, the scale. If we have less stores, that's fine. And we know that business is actually growing double digit online. And so more business is going to go there. And so the stores that are left are going to have to incorporate more functions, meaning that they will probably have, you know, BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store. They'll be distribution centers. It's often like when you buy online, it might be cheaper to get it sent from a local store than to have it sent from a distribution center around, you know, on the other side of the country. So technology enables um, a company to know where to pick from. And it's like, you don't want to pick from a store that has a likelihood of selling it 
full price to someone walking through the store. Even though there are too many brick and mortar outlets around the country, Driscoll says the retail sector is actually quite strong in a number of areas, and many consumers are spending as much or more than ever. And in the long term, she predicts a strong future for physical retail if they offer what consumers want. You know, a JCPenney in one mall could be vibrant. In another mall, it may not be. It's been, you know, all retail is local. And what resonates in one community doesn't necessarily resonate in another community. An A mall, though, the sales per square foot are better. They're higher. There are some malls that have sales per square foot between $600 and $800 in terms of sales per square feet. Tiffany and Apple have some of the highest sales per square foot, as does Lululemon. A mall is really a portfolio of brands that are relevant to your local consumer base. But Driscoll and others say those brands don't have to be high-end or luxury to thrive. No, and and like the American consumer loves value, and some of the most vibrant shopping centers are strip centers that are anchored by a TJ Maxx or a Ross store or or a Marshalls, right? Burlington, because the consumer loves those off-price stores where you can just drive up to them. I think there there will be successful thriving malls. There there will be less of them, which will make the ones that last survive that much better. And what makes a mall vibrant and successful is it reflects the local culture, a bigger piece of the culture too. You know, it's like you can have art in your mall. You can have great food. You have, people love to discover. They love to discover new restaurants. They love to discover new brands. And one of the problems with retail over the last like 20 or 30 years is there haven't been enough, there hasn't been enough newness, both in the retail brands in the mall and in the product and the products in some of those retailers. So department stores have suffered because they really have, they haven't been differentiated in terms of the product. And then, you know, there also has been this casualization of our lifestyles where fashion isn't as important and you can get fashion cheap at fast fashion and it's cheap and it's current and then you can rent clothes. So, I mean, there's there's so many different alternatives that have um, surfaced in the last 10 years. And so and, and one of the to the detriment of many malls, they were overly dependent on apparel. And you need to bring back other forms of retail. A term you hear frequently is omni-channel, basically integrating experiential retail, brick and mortar, and online sales. One of the leading brands in that arena is athletic fashion retailer, Lululemon. Julie Averill is the company's chief technology officer. She gave us some unique insights into how Lululemon is building for the future in its stores, online, and through key acquisitions like its recent purchase of Mirror. Mirror makes futuristic, interactive digital monitors that can offer everything from individualized fitness classes to personalized shopping. I think in many ways, we've accelerated ourselves into the future of retail in the last six or nine months. Uh, I think COVID has given us a very fast accelerant into what we may have otherwise tiptoed into. So people who might have stayed in the world of going into stores to do their grocery shopping have all of a sudden 
started shopping online and having things delivered. Uh, I think our expectations have changed in terms of service very, very quickly. So I think that what Lululemon thinks of in terms of the future of retail is very seamless integration of retail and online. However, our guests chooses to shop with us. We still see a very real important piece of the shopping experience for our stores, uh, but it's different. It's a way for our customers to see us in the physical way. It's a it's a play for having interaction with our educators and having being in relationship with us. It's a way to experience community and it's it's choice. You know, we're running through a pandemic, an economic crisis. And so are you thinking about ways that you can maybe take advantage of the situation to advance things from a technical level at Lululemon? And I'm curious what some of those things might be. In our digital environment, we've innovated tremendously. Things like allowing our guests to have a virtual a showroom appointment so that they can speak to an educator, maybe an educator who works in the store. So things that maybe were on our product backlog, maybe were a good idea, but with COVID happening and more people staying at home, not able to go into the stores, or we have capacity limitations in our stores, this certainly accelerated and brought a lot of learnings to us. As I look at the history of Lululemon, you're not that old of a company and so much of your growth has coincided with these mega themes in retail, the overlay of physical street retail with your online selling, influencer-based marketing, you're kind of a pioneer, direct-to-consumer, ironclad branding, kind of the experiential side of of uh, commerce where I read about your store in Chicago where people can go in and eat and learn and buy yoga pants. And so I'm wondering with all that said, kind of what is what do you see being the next frontier? You just talked about these virtual sessions. Do you think that's kind of the next big thing? We, I mean, we are always pushing the boundaries of every technology that we can to, to test and learn, and we'll continue to do that. So whether it is augmented reality online and virtual try-ons or it, different machine learning uh, recommendations to help our guests and our educators with service in new ways, we look for different ways to break down barriers to help our guests be able to shop and get out the information that they want to be able to build community. Experiences in retail and omnichannel are themes that come up repeatedly when you talk to retail expert Nadia Shurabura. She helped pioneer Amazon's retail strategy as an executive on Jeff Bezos' senior leadership or S-team. She founded a revolutionary shopping company called Hoiner that utilize smartphones and other tech to improve the shopping experience. I think over time what we'll see is a lot more experiences where you go to the store, you still touch and feel, you experience the product, uh, but a lot of other muck you do in a store is going to go virtual. Like your checkout will be much simpler and online versus in store will be much smoother. So I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. So when we talked at the GeekWire Summit seven years ago, you were pretty opinionated about this concept that brick and mortar wasn't a perfect world and and online wasn't a perfect world. It was really this meeting of the two is where 
retail and shopping was going to head and where it gets really exciting. Is that still where you think things are are going where and, and is the future of retail? I mean, this concept of omni-channel or but really this melding of technology in a physical environment. You know, I still think that. And I know it's uh, tough to be a bricks and mortar retailer these days, but uh, the experience I had in grocery where we focused on using our stores for adding a lot more, uh, for adding other experiences, such as online shopping, uh, buy online, pick up in store, uh, etc. We used our stores as a base of all that innovation. And so I still, that still very much remains the same. Seven years ago, when we were talking about the future of retail, I mean, Amazon hadn't quite uh, gotten to that point where they were investing in, in physical retail. And now, obviously, they have bookstores, they have Amazon Go, they've got Whole Foods. So they've come very much to the vision I think you had been talking about. Where do you think they are headed in terms of that meshing of physical retail and online retail? Amazon Go to me is very, very exciting. For those not familiar, Amazon Go is a new type of convenience and grocery store. You basically just download the app, grab whatever you want in the store, and walk out. The app automatically charges you. Amazon operates more than 20 of the convenience stores in Seattle, New York, San Francisco, and Chicago. It still needs a lot of work. It still has uh, some friction, which needs to be polished. But uh, as a concept, to me, it's very interesting, and it can be applied to many different parts of shopping journey. And, uh, you know, I, I keep on thinking about future experiences in apparel. And uh, so my, my company, Pointer, was very much dedicated to that. I think a lot about the experience of buying grocery. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think a lot, many, many great new experiences are going to come from that, from a physical stores generating new and very different experiences. Yeah, and going back to Jason Stouffer from Avron, he agreed that Omnichannel is a must for any brand to make it. You, you kind of look at these brands, right? Like look at Peloton. It started off online only. And then it turns out, especially for higher ticket items or for uh, things like beauty, like you want to try it. I think if if it's a purchase where you want to whether we you want to experience it before you buy it, I think physical retail is essential for those. Um, so I I look at it like you'll see less stores, you'll see them in these more experiential places, and there won't be you know twenty Ultas in the Seattle area. There will be a few, and uh, I, I don't think physical retail is going away. People um, people. Uh, there's also a few buckets of physical retail, which which I'd point out, which are n- certainly not going away. One's deep value. So things like Grocery Outlet, TJ Maxx, Ross, Dollar General, those businesses are thriving. They have the items at price points and tickets, which make it less conducive to online purchasing. And in many cases, like with a TJ Maxx or a Ross, there's a discovery component uh, where you go there and it's a treasure hunt, which is – and T- uh, Trader Joe's has that too – and, uh, you know, that plays into this experiential retail where people don't know what they're going to get and they want to be surprised and delighted. Um, I think things like Grocery Outlet and Dollar General, which has a bunch of grocery in their stores, grocery is an area where you simply cannot deliver at deep value prices to someone's doorstep. It's logistically impossible. So I think, you know, the second area would be um, big and bulky and hard to ship. Home Depot, Costco, they're doing great. Third, you'll see uh, innovation. Like, um, I think one of the coolest 
uh, things that's happened in the past year is Panera Coffee. Have you guys seen this eight ninety nine a month for all the coffee you can drink? I mean, it's brilliant, right? You you give eight ninety nine for all the coffee you can drink. Guess what? It's lunchtime. You want a second cup of coffee for the day. What are you going to do? You're going to buy a sandwich. It's a super smart way to drive traffic to your stores. And coffee is like a, a high margin product. They're probably not if they're losing money, they're only losing a little on it. And that's more than made up for by the additional purchases that people make and that subscription revenue. Like I think, you know, if you can algorithmically build uh, recurring revenue into your business, that creates a lot of, you know, equity value for your company. But let's get back to the old suburban mall. Many were built around venerable department stores like JCPenney, Sears, Nordstrom, and Macy's. What happens to those aging anchors? Retail analyst Marie Driscoll insists it's too soon to write their obituaries. Some, many of these department stores have lasted more than 100 years. So it hasn't even been about being relevant to a generation. They've been relevant to multiple generations, right? So is there something, there, and I cover luxury, and like LVMH has been around since 1853 or 54. I mean, there's, there's brands, there's um, olive oil brands that have been around for 500 years. I mean, there's something about heritage that gives the consumer a sense of, of safeness. When, when I look at brands, Brands can contract, restore themselves to their DNA, make themselves relevant to the culture and reemerge. They can have a renaissance. For retailers, it's a little bit harder because of all the brick and mortar that's out there that has to be paid for. Um, as you do a transformation, you're doing it in front of everybody. I think that, there, that department stores there, there is a second life or a third or whatever life they're on. There's another life for them, but they have to be relevant to the consumer. You know, beginning in the 1980s, they really started to very heavily focus on women's apparel and move away from the other departments that was really the basis of their name, a department store. And so if they were to go back and bring in some of those other categories in a more robust way, there's another thing that they can do. And that is like, they can lease out areas of their store to new, exciting, digitally native brands that will help those digitally native brands get discovered by a more general population, bring new traffic into the mall. I mean, you've got to understand who your customer is, bring product to your customer that will bring your customer in the store and bring your customer in for return visits. And you have to provide um, an, um, an environment where they have service, where there's a where's the, there's this discovery element. You know what makes Costco and TJ Maxx fun is that is the treasure hunt. The department store has to bring that back. There you have it. Fascinating expert insights into the future of retail, where we shop, and how we shop. Jordan, it's going to be really fun to see how their visions play out over the next five years. Yeah, and coming up in our next episode. We'll take a close look at the 800-pound gorilla in retail, Amazon. Our experts will offer their insights and how retailers can compete and actually succeed against Amazon. And we have a lot more to come. So subscribe to 2025 tomorrow today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Cook from GeekWire. And I'm Jordan Voss from Northern Trust. Thanks for listening.
2025 Tomorrow Today is produced by Josh Kearns and Cypress Point Podcasting for GeekWire Studios. It's intended for informational purposes only and is not to be taken as investment advice. There may be overlap of businesses mentioned and the holdings of Northern Trust clients. We'll be right back.